1: Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of Hollywoodintoto.com. The right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to
0: Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Joss Whedon's agent. Oh wait, he just quit. And so did his replacement. Well, this week took forever to arrive, but it's finally here. My new book, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, is available now wherever fine books are sold. i always wanted to say that. I also want to share the backstory behind the book and why I think it matters. You know, we've got this home renovation project going on, and not that's not the real reason. I always wanted to write a book, but isn't that what everyone says? Oh, yeah, I want to write a book. I've got a book in me. I've got a book in me. Well, who would publish it? What would it be about? Doesn't a book take a lot of work? I mean, tons. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that. But then I was hoping to talk to a book editor one day about a year and a half ago, some unrelated topic, and he said at one point, kind of at random, he said, shouldn't we write a book together? And I thought, yeah, you first. I didn't actually say that. I'm not that clever or quick, but I did think about it, and it did feel like the right time for something bold. You know, stripping hasn't paid out so far, so I you know, plan B. But what I write about, I mean, I, I get bored very easily. It's one of the reasons why I love running a website and having a podcast, because Every show, it's a bunch of new topics, new themes, new interviews, the website, every day I tackle a new project, I've got a new angle, a new op-ed. It's like just checking off all these assignments, done, done, done on to the next. A book is just the opposite. It's drudgery. So many words, all those words. Except I knew what I had to write about, and it turned out to be far less work than I really imagined. It just flowed. Woke Hollywood And it deserved everything I could throw at it. I think the best part of the book for me is that you see it, all these things in one place in one tidy package. You know, you can mock celebrities who would do their virtue signaling. That's fine. You can even laugh at stars who are apologizing for accepting the wrong roles and then saying, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be an ally next time. I promise. You can even look at comedians who are told to tell this joke, but not that joke. And you can be aghast at the whole process, but you put it all together and add some more information It really is a car wreck, and you can't look away, and you really shouldn't. You know, my dad always thought I had a book in me. He had faith in me. He had a vision. But I, of course, dragged my feet forever, and he's gone now. But I I do hope he's proud of the work I've done and that I finally proved him right. Now, right now, I'm in the early stages of the media blitz. I'm told this is going to go from now through about maybe March or so. And uh, so far, it's been kind of cool. Most recently, I visited the home of Brett Easton Ellis to record his excellent podcast. That was just a trip. He could have been more gracious and kind, and just the fact that he knows who I am, and he's read my book and seems to have liked it, I'm just amazed by that. I also talked to Bill O'Reilly, Adam Carolla. I'll be chatting with Dan Bongino in a few days, too. This is all really cool and fun, and I really respect these people, but it's up to me to figure out not just to sell the book, but share why it matters. And it does matter. Pop culture matters. That's why I have this podcast. This is what we talk about week after week. And it's really frustrating. It's sort of oddly liberating to see that conservatives are finally figuring this out. I feel like it's the last minute. We're in the fourth quarter, but they're getting it at last. But look at the damage done by the woke mob so far. They've ruined so many movie franchises, beloved properties. They took maybe the most popular children's author of all time and made her pariah for having one set of wrong views. Now, we need to fight back. I mean, we needed to fight back yesterday, but today will suffice. But I really hope that virtue bombs out now is a small but really valuable weapon in that fight. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial? VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's Toto's Take is, I got nothing folks, we'll bring back this segment next week, but I have been swamped with work. I'm just going crazy. All these plates are spinning and I'm just gonna take a knee, And come back next week, and I promise at least one new movie review, something a little bit unexpected, something cool, something fun, and I owe you one. This is a sad trend that's happening with some writer-center artists, and it's not getting nearly enough attention. It's kind of, I don't even say the new normal, it's just the normal. And the fact that more people aren't outraged by it, well, that speaks volumes. A lot of writer-center artists work under a pseudonym, they're afraid that if their name gets out, and they're openly revealed as a conservative, they could get in trouble. They could lose jobs. Something bad could happen, and maybe they can't put food on the table for their families. I remember years ago, I was talking to the producer behind 2016, Obama's America, and he told me that several crew members, people behind the scenes, gaffers, things like that, they worked anonymously on the project too, or under false names, let me put it that way. They didn't want to get in trouble. They knew that they were attached to this film, which was very critical of President Obama there could be consequences. Now, that was a decade ago. This problem isn't getting better. It's getting worse. It actually leads me to this week's guest. We'll just call him Politozoid. He's a former Disney animator who's using his art now to promote conservative ideals. Now, I can't blame him for staying incognito. Like I said, you can get in trouble. You can lose jobs. You can fracture relationships that have been important to you for years, if not decades. And of course, we know that the Mao's house is very liberal. You can just ask Gina Carano about that. And so is both Hollywood in general, but also I'm hearing more and more of the different animation studios. Pretty liberal too, especially behind the scenes. So enter Politozoid, and they're swimming against the tide. He creates animated shorts that are poking fun at Dr. Fauci, the woke system gone wild, all the progressive targets. It's what he does with his limited resources. Now sometimes he's able to work with several animators by his side, other times he's just going solo. It's pretty amazing what he does with that limited budget with that limited workforce, but he makes it work. Again, it's also reminded that too many conservatives ignore pop culture. He's an exception. Good for him. Now Platisoid is fascinating because he's got a lot of the receipts. He has deep connections into the existing animation studios. He talks to a lot of different animators who reach out to him and say, "Yeah, I'm with you, but I don't know if I can say much of anything because I can get in trouble. He knows the feeling. I'd really hope you enjoy my conversation, Politozoid, but more importantly, if you happen to be a GOP donor, maybe you know someone who is, you might want to take some notes here. It really is important. Well, Politozoid, I'm going to tread carefully in this conversation. I don't want to give away too much of who you are and what you do because we'll get into that in a minute, but maybe you can give us a snapshot of your animation career. And just for Full transparency, I'm a failed art major, so I I love anyone who actually is able to succeed and thrive in this field as you do. But uh, give us a sneak peek of uh, how you got here.
1: Uh, Well, interestingly enough, I'm a failed art major too. (laughs) I I never finished art school because I just didn't fit in. Uh, And I didn't understand why when I was a a kid. Um, But I knew I wanted to work for Disney one day. so I just, uh, just kind of kept plugging at it. And uh, I, I originally started, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the, uh, the the heartland of America and uh, eventually came out uh, to California to try and make my way. And, uh, and I first started working in network television out here, doing visual effects. And um, after a couple of years of doing that, uh, I ended up in the visual effects division of, uh, Disney, and um, uh, we uh, actually I got to do all kinds of fun things while at Disney. Um, all the, everything from art direction to um, character design. Uh, did uh, actually designed a minor Disney character and uh, animated it on the on the big screen. That was kind of cool, um, and. Uh, actually got to do some development work too. The studio would send down, uh, the studio heads would have concepts they'd wanna see fleshed out. and So I got to do some development work. So it was kind of a fun, well-rounded time at Disney. Um, It was basically the late 90s while I was there. And uh, the main reason I left was because um, I wanted to be doing my own projects. And when you work for Disney, you sign a piece of paper that pretty much says they own your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So um, I needed to jump ship if I was gonna be going and pitching projects. So that was the main reason I left.
0: Now, you mentioned you didn't finish your college career from a, from an artistic point of view, but obviously you were succeeding and thriving. Would you say you were self-taught? Were you kind of learning as you went? Did you maybe go home on the weekends and, and study things that maybe you wanted to catch up on? I'm kind of curious about your the artistic arc you had because you didn't have a traditional background.
1: No, not at all. Well, I mean, the frustrating thing for me was, um, I mean, I wasn't going to any sort of prominent art school. It was the local university. But the frustrating thing was um, there weren't really any art majors. Um, They were mostly interior design people that had to take some art classes that were keeping the art program alive there. But uh, uh, I remember specific instances where You know, I I was already working as a freelance commercial artist, uh, doing work for some local radio stations and designing a lot of sweatshirt shirts and t shirts. And, you know, this this was back before the day of the internet. You know, you actually had to know the mom and pop shop that could make your shirts for you. (laughs) But um, the art school really turned their nose up at anybody that did not want to do it their way. Um, They thought cartoons were, Uh, second rate. Um, They thought any sort of commercial art was second rate. And I I always got excited about seeing art actually serving a purpose, you know, trying to to help somebody build a business or brand. I always found that fascinating. But what was really telling to me was um, there was a project that was assigned uh, in one of my art classes where we were going to get to imitate. Uh, a famous artist. And I was very excited uh, because I wanted to attempt Norman Rockwell because I felt like I'd be really pushing myself. And I was informed our Norman Rockwell was not a, not a painter. He was, <laughs> he was an illustrator. And uh, I was like, well, doesn't he paint his illustrations? And <laughs> literally the teacher pulled me out of the class, left the rest of the class behind and took me down to the art library and forced me to go through books to look at real artists, you know, like, like Van Gogh and, and Monet and such. And, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the, those artists. It's just, I, I felt a calling in a different direction. So instead of trying to um, help an artist to improve in the direction in which they're going, really the art school was to try and get everybody to conform
0: that's amazing. And
1: that just wasn't me.
0: Yeah. It's something they wanted to create a whole generation of starving artists as opposed to fully engaged employed artists. Uh,
1: that, you know, I was feeling the exact same thing. I was like, you know, they, they want to create artists that their paintings are worth 50 grand after you're dead. <laughs> and, uh, and you die in the street. <laughs>
0: That's right. With a needle in your arm. <laughs> yeah, I, so I have th- like I have three art degrees and I still did not know how to draw hands and feet. Plus, along my entire art journey... I was never taught. Okay, this is how you build your portfolio. This is how you approach a client. This is how you, uh, you know, showcase what you can do. These are the ways you kind of pedal your 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 skills. None of that. And by the end of my college career, I'm thinking, I think I'm going to write because I, I I know how to do that a little bit. And I I don't know what to do with my heart. So, so uh, that's that's exactly. similar frustrations. But obviously, you kind of blew past all of that. Now. You're working, uh, you know, by yourself now. You've got different project and you've taken a, a more political, more cultural spin on the work you do, which is certainly one of the reasons I'm assuming why we're talking anonymously here. Uh, share that part of the journey. Was it frustration with the news cycle and, and how did that kind of – how did you kind of take that detour from your, in your career?
1: Well, interestingly enough, when I, when I started my career, I was very apolitical um i mean i have always been a registered republican because uh, uh reagan was very inspiring to me growing up um i mean he was president during my formative years all the way from middle school to college and um i just felt like he was i mean he really was my introduction to politics but i couldn't have told you left and right up and down and uh it wasn't until the Monica Lewinsky scandal where you really had no choice but to follow politics if you were gonna look at you know any sort of news cycle. And that that led into uh you know the the George W. Bush and Al Gore election. And, and that's when I finally started kind of listening to candidates and what they were pitching. And um from there on, you know, I kind of I followed it. I wasn't passionate about it, but I I followed it. I had an interest. But um, by the time that Obama entered office and I'd watched eight years of the left just pulverize George W. Bush, I was like, I was gonna take the high road, I was I was gonna give this guy a chance. I was not gonna be like all those that just bashed on George W. Bush, but then as soon as I started hearing the fundamentally transform America and saw what that meant, felt like it, I had to, I had to kind of jump in the game and, uh, I, uh, I had moved my business into my home. So I had a little more flexibility than I'd had in the past. And so I just, um, uh, I sat down and when, when, um, Obama said he was going to close Guantanamo, uh, I, decided that I was going to do an animated political cartoon because I had the time to do it. And I had no idea what I was jumping into. I didn't know <laughs> what I was gonna call it. Um, but I, I finished the piece and uh, did a musical parody of the Rolling Stones' satisfaction and instead <laughs> of singing I can't get no it was uh, a terrorist singing I'm in Gitmo. <laughs> and it got picked up by townhall.com. They had a little different format at the time but uh, it, it got about 75,000 views. And you know, I was brand new at this. I was like, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I came up with the name Politizoid. Um And uh, fortunately after that, um, I was able to connect with a, uh, a PAC that was wanting to do work for the, uh, the 2010 midterm elections. And they had funding and they wanted content and i happened to meet the right people that connected me with these folks and uh within about a year of doing that first video i had a staff of 12 guys oh my gosh produce these things and we we created about 70 episodes in 18 months and um, the pack was putting money behind it uh and so they, it was going on their channel which is now defunct but uh they were getting you know, millions of hits on this, but they were also putting marketing dollars.
0: Behind Have you so found over the awesome. years, I've kind of anecdotally found that conservatives aren't um, ready, willing and able to give money to pop culture situations. Uh, you know, what the work you do, a comedian, a, a, an independent movie, that those, uh, those wallets and purses often stay closed. They were open for you there, but what's been your experience over the years?
1: Uh, that's exactly what I'm going through right now. Um, um you know, we're we're actively seeking funding at the moment because I I see the opening. Um, you know, people are starving for this type of material. Um, you know, even more so, just movies and television that, that you know speak to to the values of most Americans. I mean, it's a huge business opportunity, yet um conservatives are so busy at the at the end of the pipeline with their bucket trying to solve problems in the political sphere. And, uh, you know, we all know Andrew Breitbart's famous quote of politics are downstream culture. But we seem to be intent on trying to fix it at at the end of the pipeline instead of, you know, uh, trying to get folks to understand what conservative values are without preaching at them, you know, to do it through storytelling. Uh, But even trying to do uh these cartoons um you know i what i'm discovering is there is a huge gap between the rank and file republican and the people that are in the political sphere inside the dc bubble and all this money goes into that dc bubble and uh you know nobody's reading their white papers or going to their websites or checking out um you know the, the latest information that they're pushing. But the, the people that send them money don't understand the value of the, the storytelling. You're all- so the people that'll, that'll approach me on my website be like, how can I help? Are people that are probably can do, you know, five, 10, $20 donations, maybe once or twice. And uh, right now I'm still the one man show um, so I don't have the resources to aggregate those sorts of donations. So trying to figure out the right path forward financially is, is an interesting challenge right now. Um, I'm just, I'm bootstrapping it and, um, you know, trying to make the right steps to, to get Politozoid to a point where it is, you know, a, a larger influence on culture. Um, some videos, you know, we'll put out and have half a million hits um and uh, it'll get picked up on other podcasts and such and by the time it's replayed you know millions, and millions of people have viewed it but with the suppression going on on the social media platforms there's there's uh it's difficult to organically grow the brand when the major channels where you would do that are shut down
0: yeah it's interesting you, so, in, in many ways you just describe why this podcast exists Is that the? I was just
1: about to say. You know, that's why I'm appreciative of opportunities like this. Sure. um, To be able to spread the word.
0: Well, let me. This is a dumb slash not dumb question. You're anonymous. I'm calling you Politizoid. Your brand name. Share why.
1: Um. Well, I discovered a while back. I mean, I, I I told you how I used to be apolitical, and you know, I'd be on Hollywood sets during the Bush administration and go into the production office and, and see people with, you know, um, newspaper clippings with things that said, like, how could so many millions of voters be so stupid to vote for Bush and, and, and things like that. Hey, you just you learn to keep your mouth shut. And um, eventually, um, you know, we had the group Friends of Abe, where at, at, at our high point, we had about 2,500 conservatives in the industry that it was kind of like the group therapy session for everybody to talk, <laughs> talk freely about politics and their ideas because you're shut down in Hollywood. And uh, for years, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was happening career-wise for me because I did. I guess Hollywood knew I was conservative before I did because I just naturally had those those you know, Midwestern values that I carried with me to California. And when you go to pitch projects, those projects reflect those values. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there thinking there's tons of people that want to see these types of projects. But that's not how Hollywood works. You're, it's it's really uh, Hollywood is, you know, a haven for crony capitalism. And, and you know, you, you, you pat my back, I'll pat yours. And, you know, the one one studio head will put up a, a $10,000 a month billboard and another studio heads Uh, neighborhood just to show off you know and so in that type of world it's you know it's it's not really where conservatives going to be able to thrive um, and make the connections you need in order to become uh, a prominent filmmaker or even just a you know run the mill successful Mm -hmm. (laughs) filmmaker television producer
0: There, there are certainly more than flickers going on right now within the right side of the aisle Regarding entertainment, obviously the Daily Wire is maybe the most prominent voice out there that they're kind of getting in with both feet into the entertainment business. Are you? Do you sit, do you have any optimism that others may follow in their path that they may succeed in a way that would spark others? What's your sort of sense on the on the culture at at the moment? Is is there room for optimism, or are we not there yet?
1: Well, I think there is room for optimism. Um, it's it's just gonna. You know, we're going back to the money question because that's really what it's going to take: is um, someone with the finances and the vision uh, to get behind an effort like that. Um, you know, Daily Wire is kind of uh, blazing the path, but uh, you know, it's it's a direction that conservatives need to head, and it needs to be done in a high quality fashion. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Hollywood productions right now, is they're, they look better than ever. I mean, the image quality, the visual effects work, it's just all top notch, but the writing is, um, it's very substandard now. And I think it's because it's being written by people that don't have a true understanding of the world. Um, they live in a bubble. Uh, it's the, when you're involved in groupthink, that's the opposite of being creative, creative is uh iron sharpens iron, you know mm-hmm. people sharing ideas uh and honing them down until they're the best they can be and um you know the, there's just no heart and soul to the the films mm-hmm. being made right now and now, on the flip side of it, you have a lot of people outside the established system, conservatives and otherwise that they're doing whatever they can to get their projects off the ground. And sometimes you have really good ideas. Sometimes you have people that are well intentioned, um, but the the craftsmanship is lacking. And so then you have to be forgiving of the film you're mm-hmm. watching because the, the standards aren't as high or they just didn't have the resources uh, yeah. to be able to get in a good director of photography or an art director that uh, is able to you know, or an art director at all, uh, but we got to figure out a way to be able to compete creatively, but distribution is always going to be the key. And as long as we are in a world where the gatekeepers are the major media companies and big tech, um, we're always going to be throttled. Yeah. So the distribution uh, situation is the number one issue that needs to be solved.
0: Before we let you go, I'm, I'm going to guess you have some connections still within Disney, within the animated world right now. You may be even doing freelance assignments and kind of dipping your toe in that arena. Still, I, I hear horror stories. I just wrote a book about what's going on with Woke Hollywood. It is within the animated realm, is it as bad as we've heard? Is it not as outrageous or is it even worse?
1: Well, um, when I came out with my piece, Woke World, I... Um, this past august uh, a lot of disney uh, past and present reached out to me um you know everybody told me that i was gonna hear from the disney lawyers but <laughs> they never called it was it was the disney rank and file that reached out to me um i mean scores of them came you know reached out to me and i'm even doing some collaboration with some of them right now uh, but the stories that were coming back not just from disney but warner's and you know some of the other studios is um the crt the the woke culture has really taken over and and you know any way you slice it you know yes there's there's minorities in 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 animation yes there's women in animation but um the bulk of the animation crews have just historically been white males i mean I, i sometimes certain professions just draw in a certain demographic and every time I've hired, uh, you know, if, if you put out that, hey, we need 10 guys and you get 100 resumes and they're all white males, <laughs> that's who you end up hiring. And what's happening right now is um, these companies are going, yeah, I know you have a couple of Emmys and 40 years experience, but, you know, we're not going to be able to bring you back because you're a white male. Mm-hmm. And um, that's happening. I heard that repeatedly, um, that that's what's going on. Um, thanks to the HR departments of all the major studios.
0: And I think that so, actually opens up an opportunity for folks like you and others to say, Hey, come on board. We want to, you know, if the funding can happen, you know, we want to work with you. We want to we tap your skills. You know, we don't mind that that minorities are getting great jobs now. It's wonderful. They should get, you know, it should have the same access, but when it, when it runs in reverse, when the course correction is so bizarre and so extreme, you know, come, come work with us. Maybe, maybe Politoid can kind of expand that way. And, assuming some more funding kind of enters the picture. But
1: uh. the, that is the hope, um, you know, and right now I, I've got a business plan put together to, to where could get to where there's daily content. And, uh, you know, in a, in a weekly piece, that is uh, the quality of the, the, the large pieces I'm currently doing. I mean, you know, it takes me personally anywhere from one to six weeks, depending on the type of video I'm doing. Um, I managed to squeeze out a quick one in one day this past hmm. week. Uh, but it was a timely issue and I just, I, I, I wanted to get it out, but, you know, pulled an all-miter and there it is. But, um, it, people are mostly respond to the, to my larger pieces. I mean, Woke world took me six, six weeks to do, um, you know, so it's like, but you're right. You know, there's a lot of talent out there right now that, that. The other thing they were expressing to me is that, you know, they they agree that, you know, our country is uh, in deep trouble right now, and they would like to use their talents and skills to try and change that and just do some good storytelling. Yeah. And so the interesting thing is, is that, you know, if there is a wise investor out there, that uh, they will see that not only is there a huge untapped market out there, I mean you know we're, we're probably talking anywhere from 50 to 75 percent of our country and now there's a huge talent pool that is sick of hollywood politics that would love to create for that market it's just a matter of bringing those two together
0: yeah i'm a lowly journalist and podcaster i don't have the cash but boy i'd I wish i had i'd wish my pockets were deep and i'd, I'd dig down and make this happen and someone's going to make a lot of money i think if they do just that and they just just need those those folks to step up, but uh,
1: exactly, well, yeah. exactly.
0: Well, Politizoid, thank you so much for joining the show, sharing your colorful career with us. You can find his work at YouTube, and also just go to Politizoid.com, and you'll find links to his YouTube channel, Twitter, all the necessary ways. And also, there's contact information there if you if you want to kind of share, you know, your story, connect with Politizoid. That's where you do it. And uh, we wish you well, and we hope that the next time we talk to you, or at least sometime in the future we can use your real name and talk about your stories and not 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 be fearful but i completely understand it and uh, we need to change that
1: that day will come
0: excellent Thanks for listening to Right on Hollywood, part of the Just the News podcasting family. I've spent the last few days lining up some interesting guests for the show in the coming weeks, and I hope you enjoy that. But if there's someone out there you'd like me to interview, but you haven't heard him or her yet, let me know on Twitter. You can ping me, at Hollywood in Toto. And oh yes, that happens to me on my website as well, so I'm going to throw in a plug as well. But uh, thank you for listening to the show, and we will do it all again next week. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email christian at hollywoodintoto.com. And And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.